Thrive Leadership Podcast in three, two, cue music. This is the Thrive Leadership Leadership Podcast. Podcast. It's a place to connect you to nationally acclaimed leaders, their insights, and ideas on how to help you thrive in every area of your life. Of your life. Of your life. On today's episode, pastor and author Terry Smith. A hospitable leader figures out a way to let his or her followers, if you please, know how much they love them. They work on communicating that. Now your host, Brad Lominick. So good to have Pastor Terry Smith on the Thrive Leadership Podcast. Welcome, Terry. Hey, Brad. It's great to be with you, and I'm thrilled to be uh, associated and a part a part of what Thrive is doing. Well, you know, one of the things we we love about podcasts and conferences and events and the Thrive community is having the chance to connect to leaders like yourself. That many of these listeners may not know who you are, but you've been doing this a long time. You know, you are a pastor who's been pastoring pastors and building a church in the New Jersey area for several years. Give it give us a little bit of the of the short snippet of your bio. So I've been the lead pastor of the Life Christian Church in West Orange and now also Paramus, New Jersey, here in the New York City metropolitan area for 27 years. Wow. So I, I have been doing this a long time. And um, by God's grace, uh, over this many years, the church has grown from a small handful of people to a whole lot of people. And one part of our mission is to spread God's love in ever-widening circles. And by God's grace, we're doing that here in the New York City metropolitan area. Well, and you are—you're a leader's leader. You've—you've—you've you've, uh, you've been for many years speaking on leadership, talking about leadership developing leaders in your own church. I've been to your church several times and been with your team several times. I love the climate you've created, Terry. You 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 release leaders, you've created a culture that that is empowering leaders. Why has that been so important to you? Well, I I think that regardless what someone's gifts are, if they can figure out how to connect the ability to lead to that, that leadership has exponential power. And so for many years, we've made leadership development a big part of what we do here. And another thing I think that happens with that is that you attract leaders. Hmm. And we we have had uh, unusual success, I think, in attracting a broad diversity of leaders from the world of business, academics, sports, nonprofit enterprises, et cetera. And... So somehow over the years, an emphasis on leadership has uh, been really key to everything that we are and do here. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sort of burying the lead here because you are recently off of a release of a new book, The Hospitable Leader, and I want you to talk about this book. I've seen it up close, not just in terms of being you know around your leaders, but also seeing the way that you all approach church, you approach the, the experience of, of the weekend, but also the way you, like you said, you really do attract leaders. Um, why this book? You know, the the, the title, Hospi- The Hospitable Leader, Create Environments Where People and Dreams Flourish. Why write this book now? Well, this book is in part an attempt to explain what's happened here at the Life Christian Church over the last 27 years. One of the things 
Brad, that we're known for, and you know this, is that, that we attract a very wide diversity of people and uh, a subset of that are high capacity leaders. And uh, marrying leadership to hospitality has been a real key to that. And so a lot of people ask me, you know, I've had people say who, uh, well, well-known leaders who visited us that this is the most diverse church they've ever seen in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's race, ethnicity, nation of origin, socioeconomic status, levels of education. Uh, last we checked, we had people from 186 zip codes wow. who were regularly engaged in our congregation. It's age, it's it's a, a, a denominational backgrounds, it's lots of unchurched people, it's Jewish people who like to come and be a part of our services and many of whom end up uh, coming to believe in Jesus. Um, so, you know, people ask me, how have you created this environment that attracts this diversity of people? And this book is an attempt to answer that question, both the diversity in and of itself and then the, the unique uh, ability that we seem to have had to attract and develop leaders. This is the, the uh, one of the fabrics of the church. It's also one of the fabrics of you personally. I mean, I've seen it up close. I've seen you live out hospitality. Lots of us as leaders, we think, oh, hospitality, I got it. I, I understand that. But when you see the way they act, you know, it doesn't line up. How, how does this actually look? What does it look like for you practically to be a hospitable leader? It's a whole package. It's physical, spiritual, emotional, attitudinal, and communicative climate. It's a mindset a worldview, an approach. It's, it's, a, it's a lens through which to view everything, where you're making sure that you're creating an environment where, where people feel welcomed, understanding that when people feel welcomed in the ways I just described as an overview, that you then can influence them. So we spend a lot of time here thinking about all of those things, and uh, one way we get at that is is we talk about how that Jesus exercised influence many times in hospitable environments. People felt welcomed. People mm-hmm. wanted to be around him, and all kinds of people, all kinds of people wanted to be around him, and therefore he was able, because of this environment that he created in himself and around himself, uh, and wherever he was, to attract these people, and then he was able to influence them. That's great. Well, I know the Last Supper is something you write about in the book. Unpack that a little bit in terms of why you see that as such a great model of hospitality from Jesus. Yeah, I, I love to talk about the Last Supper. It takes a minute to, to unpack it, and I hope that, you, that you'll interrupt me, Brad. And, and let me just let me just pause and say this because I'm afraid we're going to run out of time. Before I get into that, let, let me just say that you are an incredibly hospitable leader, and and this can be looked at in a lot of ways. And I, I don't mean to be uh, pandering or patronizing when I say that. But um, you, you, it is amazing the ability that you have to welcome people, to hear people talk about their dreams and, and to, 
do whatever you can to help make their dreams come true. And part of hospitable leadership is a hospitable leader is hospitable to people and their dreams. And um, uh, I was having a conversation with a very significant uh, national leader today, and your name came up. And this person said, Brad has the most unusual ability and heart to discover people and to connect people to one another Mm. to help everybody be successful and not to ask anything for it. So anyway, well, thank you for saying that. My dream really is, you know, your your book, H3 Leadership. I just want to be the fourth H, Brad. <laughs> Hospitality. That's it, man. I forgot. Hospitality. I forgot the be H, humble, the last be H. Hungry, hustle. Hospitality. Hospitable. There you go. Right, the Last Supper. This is kind of theory, but um, all of this can be broken down into practicality. So when if you look. First of all, if you look at the at Jesus and and see how he intentionalized hospitality, it's pretty amazing. I mean, uh, Tim Chester actually said this part originally, but but I've, I'm I'm building on it. Um, when Jesus said why he came, he said that he he came to seek and save the lost and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the way he answered that question. But when he talked about how he came, he said that he came eating and drinking. Hmm. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus from beginning to end, it is constantly about being in some kind of a hospitable environment where there was literal eating and drinking in in many cases, uh, but also just the environment around Jesus felt like a feast. So one way that he described his leadership domain was like a feast that a king threw for his son. He said the kingdom of God can be described as a feast that a king threw for his son. What is it? What would it be like for a leader to have a mentality about their leadership sphere where they were thinking about whether or not people were experiencing their leadership as a feast? Hmm. You know, what if our followers felt that our stockholders, our teams, our employees, our customers, our congregants, our students, our children? So you see that with Jesus from the wedding at Cana through his constant going to dinner, being at dinner, coming home from dinner and ministering in those situations to if there isn't food, he creates it to um, the Last Supper, to his post-resurrection reconciliation breakfast, which he cooked for Peter. Right. uh, To the fact that that the next age, the age to come, launches with a giant party, a banquet, a feast. All right. So um, please interrupt me, Brad, because I, I may no, go keep on going. Yeah, it's good. This than I should. But an example that kind of grabs all of this in in one place is Jesus at the Last Supper. If you look at the Last Supper as maybe the greatest exercise of leadership in a particular meeting in the history of the world. It's it's kind of fascinating to see it through those lens. So so Jesus paid attention at the Last Supper, whether intentionally or I'm going back now 2,000 years and extracting things that I see from it, but he paid attention to physical environment, spiritual environment, emotional environment, attitudinal environment, and communicative environment. And here's, here's how. First of all, Jesus Christ cared about the physical environment in which this most important of meetings was to happen. 
Several verses are given in several of the synoptic gospels where Jesus sends his two most important leaders, Peter and John, to find the place where the, the, the supper was supposed to happen. He specifies that it's supposed to be a large room, that it's supposed to be furnished in a certain way, and he tasked them with the responsibility of preparing the Passover meal, which was no small thing. You find find the, the, the lamb that, that meets certain qualifications. You, you have it butchered. You, uh, you prepare it properly. You set the table. You make sure, um, you, you know, you, you find the wine that, that he's going to hold up as a representation of his blood. There's a, tr- a trim- tremendous amount of care, if you mm-hmm. read between the lines, that's given to physical environment. And then uh, as it concerns spiritual environment, I love the fact that in the in the uh, early part of the story of the Last Supper in the Gospel of John, which covers five chapters, either at the supper or walking from the supper to Gethsemane, it's a huge part of John's Gospel. We're told that Jesus was able to do what he did there because he knew he had come from the Father. He knew the authority he had from the Father. And I like to say that Jesus created a spiritual environment where the things that happened there could happen because he knew who he was in relationship to the Father. He was settled in that. that. Mm. He was confident in that. And so so his, his relationship with the Father helped create spiritual environment. Next, um, he... Had, he created an emotional environment that was amazing. John's gospel says in one translation that at that supper, he showed his disciples the full extent of his love. Right. And I think that this is something that a hospitable leader does. A hospitable leader figures out a way to let his or her followers, if you please, know how much they love them. They work on communicating that. Rodney Ferris, uh, the organizational leadership guru, talks about this in technical terms as organizational love and how that the organization of today and the future are organizations that are infused with love. Next, uh, as it concerns attitudinal environment, um, obviously this is where he practices the most uh, significant act of servant leadership in history probably where he wraps himself in a towel and he washes the feet of his disciples. Though he knew who he was and knew he had come from the Father, he puts himself in the form of a servant and he essentially says to his followers, I am here to serve you. And then it's in that environment where he, if you look at what Jesus said at the Last Supper and walking from the Last Supper to Gethsemane, it is a leadership talk for the ages. Mm-hmm. Because when you create that kind of environment, you can say almost anything and people who, who are in that kind of environment are willing to hear you. And, you, you know, he engages uh, in extreme team building, uh, telling them that they need, you know, we, we do trust falls, but Jesus said that they were going to need to lay their lives down for one another. Right. He casts vision for the future. He gives them, he tells them that they're going to, he's going to have an open books policy as a leader because he's going to let them know the details of his father's business. Um, 
on and on it go. He tells them that they're going to be required to bring results. He said, I chose you so that you'll go and bear fruit. And he lets them know that they're going to be held accountable as to whether or not they do the things he's asking them to do. So it's not like it's all kumbaya. He gives a serious leadership talk, but the the atmosphere is such that he's able to do that in a way, and they're able to go from there eventually and change the world. That was a long answer to a simple question. No, it? it's so good. I'm just thinking of of the number of especially pastors who communicate and who teach and preach. That's a great sermon right there. The the way you broke down those five pieces of the Last Supper and looking at it from not just a leadership perspective but a hospitality perspective. Really good. Um, people will be stealing that from you, Terry. You'll be hearing that sermon. Anyone has permission to use it, and and I, let's consider it given, not stolen. Yeah, good. Hey, what what about the stranger? I, I want you to to dig into that. You know, so many of us as leaders, we would say, "Oh, we we welcome the stranger. We're we're open. We we want people to see our church as a place that is welcoming." But but when you actually look at many churches, that would not be the case. I mean, how, how have you all done that in a way that, as you said, New Jersey and the New York metro area, you, you truly are welcoming people from around the world. How, how have you seen that play out in a way that might be helpful for, for leaders listening? Well, the, in my view, the ability to attract a broad diversity of people begins with organizational climate. And um, I describe it as a hospitable organizational climate, and I, and I think that that begins with an organizational culture informed by a certain attitude, a certain way of thinking. And one of the ways that we've gotten at this over the years is that we talk about loving the stranger. So the hospitable leader is organized into five welcomes. The first welcome is called home, and that's where I talk about how you – a, a hospitable leader creates an environment that warms people's hearts and how that when people's hearts are warm, they're more likely to listen to what it is you have to say to them. The second welcome is strangers. And I think this is my favorite part of the whole concept and perhaps can have the most influence on uh, organizations and maybe even, I, I would hope and pray, uh, society itself. And that's a dream of mine anyway. And here's, here's the idea in Hebrews 13, one, the writer of the Hebrews said, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. And that the Greek word translated love your brother. There is the Greek word Philadelphia with which we're all familiar. It's brotherly mm -hmm. love. Well, we know that that's actually challenging enough to just keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, right? right? Yeah. I mean, some of us, we've been working on that one for years. But then he ups the ante in Hebrews 13, 2, when he says, and don't forget to be hospitable to strangers because you might be entertaining an angel unaware. Hmm. And the Greek word Pardon the Greek word stuff here, Brad, but the Greek word that's translated to love a stranger or to entertain a stranger or to be hospitable to a stranger there is the word philoxenia. It's the opposite of the word xenophobia. Xenophobia is the fear of people who aren't like you. But philoxenia is to love. Actually, it literally translates to love loving a stranger. 
So the writer of the Hebrews says, practice Philadelphia, but don't just stay there hmm. because you have to move to Philoxenia. You, you, you have to move uh, from just loving your brothers and sisters to learning to love people who are strange to you. And to me, a stranger is anyone who is strange to you or to whom you are strange. Now, that could be a broad swath of people. And I say this, I always want to talk about diversity in a way that doesn't feel condemnatory to people who are listening to it, who perhaps are leading a church in a place that's not very diverse or doing right. their best that it's not working out. I, I New York City is a very diverse place. Uh, so we have that advantage. However, I'll tell you that there actually aren't very many diverse churches here. So I don't, I don't want anybody to feel condemned by this. I do want to share my passion for creating a climate in an organization of any type, and especially churches, that loves strangers. So who's strange to me? Maybe someone from a different race and the set of experiences that come with that. Maybe someone from a different nation and the set of experiences that come with that. Perhaps it's, you know, as, as a man, sometimes uh, the, the stranger is a woman with the basic gender differences and, again, the set of experiences that perhaps a, a, a woman may bring into an organization or sometimes the stranger is the, is your teenage kid who at nine years old was a delight and at 13 years old you're trying to figure, figure out who in the world they are. Mm -hmm. You know, for the poor person, the stranger could be the rich person and vice versa. I think you get the point. But in order to, to be hospitable, we have to love loving strangers. And here's here's the next part of that, Brad. When we do, we often find out that that person is a messenger from God. So the text says, don't forget to love the stranger because the stranger may be an angel or that. Of course, that could be literally true. I have no no problem believing that I could literally entertain a stranger. But what I've learned is that figuratively, often the person who at first seemed strange to me becomes someone that God uses in my life to expand me and to expand my influence. That's good. And most pastors and church leaders, Terry, they would say they don't disagree with the posture or the mindset of, of welcoming the stranger. But if you, if you look at what happens, many times that's not occurring. So as they think about that and are challenged, is there any steps you would tell them, hey, do these things really, really simply, Here's one or two things you could do to immediately sort of turn the tide as it relates to this issue. First of all, I would say that we have to change our assumptions about people. Mm -hmm. now, now, this is nuanced, but this has been a huge thing for me as a white guy from Indiana who somehow finds myself in this place leading this incredibly diverse church. And I had to I learned this the hard way and I have. I have stories and, and battle wounds from learning this the hard way. And that is that so often, and I think maybe even especially in Christian leadership, we assume the person that we're talking to thinks the same thing that we do. Right. That, that could be a great example of that would be politics. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of well-meaning pastors who assume – 
that everyone in the audience has the same basic view of the world that they do. And this bleeds into everything, including, for instance, politics. So they will talk about things in the world that assumes everybody in the room agrees with them. When in fact, it's impossible to welcome a stranger unless you're willing to listen to them, to be an empathetic communicator, which means that before you speak, you're trying to get into their mind and have a sense of what they see, what they think. It doesn't mean that you agree with them. It just means that you're not talking until you've listened which is an interesting thing to do when you're the speaker and you're looking out at a crowd and they <laughs> right. can't talk back. But that's what an effective communicator does. An effective communicator gets inside of the mind of his audience before he speaks to them. And while he's speaking, is paying attention to what they're saying back, even if they're not verbally speaking. They are communicating back. And then after they speak, they're trying to find ways to gain intelligence as to what people experienced while they were speaking. I, I think this is true as it, th this whole thing of assumptions. This could be true in terms of signage when people come into our property. Mm -hmm. now, I know that that's, that's pretty simple, um, but we assume that people know what we know when they walk into the door. Or this could be the way we hold conversations with guests. Because, again, if we don't have a sense of, of what people are experiencing in the culture and the world around us, uh, if we're not careful, we, we speak in ways that makes it feel like a, a, a club with a secret membership and, and we assume people get what we're talking about. It could be the way that we program our services, the way that we speak from the stage. I get so weary of inhospitable Christian <laughs> speakers. Yeah. I'm lingo. Sorry, yeah. Leaders, lingo, yeah. or, or even just, I don't know why people, I've never said this on a podcast before, this little pet peeve of mine, but a lot of times people get a microphone in their hand and start bossing people around. I know it's like the power trip all of a sudden, cause you, you feel like you're in charge. So one way you attract high capacity leaders is you don't patronize them. Hmm. So why would I stand in stage with a microphone? And man, I'm really off track now. I'm sorry, Brad. No, this why, is good. Would I, why would I stand on stage with a microphone and boss people around? Stand up, sit down, look up here. I'm sitting there, I'm, 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 I'm looking out there and there's a CEO of a major corporation <laughs> overseeing billions of dollars of a budget. And I'm standing up there a microphone and they're in my world and I'm bossing them, hmm. telling them, do this, do that. Well, why wouldn't I, my language be inviting and careful and polite? And uh, if you would, please, if you'd like to, please stand and so on. That's really I good. I give altar calls that way. Really interesting. Just the, the, so it, it really does permeate everything. That, per, everything. that posture, yeah, of, of welcoming people, hospitality, inviting them, not the posture that says, you're here, now I've got you, and therefore I'm going to force you into something. I'm trying to treat people just generally, whether this is employees, whether this is a guest on Sunday, hmm. I'm trying to treat people as if they're a guest in my home. That's good. Yeah. And when you start looking at everything you're doing from this lens, it affects, I mean, you've been in our building and on our property 
we have a beautiful campus. We, we haven't always had it. It took us a long time to get here. We have a beautiful, welcoming, inviting campus 13 miles from Times Square. So it affects physicality. You know, it's cold outside, but when people walk in here on a Sunday morning, there's a beautiful coffee bar and a great big fireplace. And we're trying to create a warm physical environment, but it affects everything else as well. The way we speak, the way we program, the way we invite people to events, the way we communicate on social media, welcoming, inviting, hospitable. Well, again, the book is The Hospitable Leader, Create Environments Where People and Dreams Flourish. I want, I want you to maybe share a story from someone at Life Christian Church that has actually been impacted by this idea, maybe one of the members of the congregation or someone who you would say, this is a great example of when this happens, when you actually live out hospitable leadership, this is the result. Man, I have so many. I'm, I'm going through my mind trying to figure out which would be most appropriate here. Um, I'm thinking about a story that I actually tell in the book of Roman Oban. He's given me permission to tell it, so I'll use his name. Roman was a great uh, offensive lineman in the NFL. Uh, he was one of the guys that got traded from the Giants to um, San Diego for in the Eli Manning trade, actually. He won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Anyway, after he retired, he ended up here in New York City hosting the, the uh, post-game Giants show on television and radio and so on and so forth. Anyway, this story is in response to the third welcome of the hospitable leader, which is called dreams. And this is where I talk about being hospitable to people's dreams. Uh, Roman uh, is a is a member of our church. And one day he met with me talking about how dissatisfied with his life he was post retirement in the NFL, even though he was this celebrity in New York City because he was hosting the Giants show and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the ways that I believe that we're hospitable to people's dreams is that we we focus obsessively on helping them find their place in this world. And I have this concept that I dig into in the book called Area of Destiny. And it's where I help people think about uh, the intersect between their passion, their gifts, and God's calling on their life or mission, passion, gifts, and mission. And Roman had been actually teaching a class on area of destiny at our local church. And he knew that, that though everything in his life seemed to look great, that he wasn't in his area of destiny and that he had a desire to impact young people through football in a way that could change their lives the way his life had been changed. And he got the courage to chase his dreams by having conversations, frankly, with me, hearing me speak about going after your dreams, finding your place in this world, being dissatisfied unless you you do. And 
he ended up becoming uh, the director of youth and high school football for the NFL. And he's been mm. there now for a couple of years. And he wrote me this beautiful email, which essentially says, and Roman and I in many ways couldn't be any more different, but it essentially says, you know, thank you for being hospitable to my dreams and pushing me to find my place in this world and to go after my God-given dreams and not to be satisfied with anything less. Essentially, thank you for being hospitable to my dreams. So that's one story that comes to mind. And I could tell a bunch of them. I'm grateful. You know, the most rewarding thing in the world, Brad, is to be able to see the result of your work over the last 27 years. Sure. And we have lots of great stories of lots of people's lives that have been impacted by the fact that in a multiplicity of ways, we've tried to create a hospitable environment that welcomes people. Well, everyone needs to get the book and read or listen to all the other stories that you include in the book. So thanks for being a part of the Thrive Leadership Podcast. And thanks for your faithfulness, Terry, to not just the area and the the people that you've impacted, but also to the local church and to Life Christian Church. And appreciate the way you're... Uh, you're helping a lot of us to be better leaders. Well, you're very kind, Brad. And, you know, at the beginning of the podcast, you said, essentially, a lot of people don't know me. And uh, it's kind of you to take a, a, a guy who's been up here kind of dug in for 27 years in a local church. It's kind of you to to uh, be as generous as you've been to me, to connect me to a lot of people and things that that are helping me fulfill my destiny, I believe, including inviting me to be on the Thrive Podcast. I appreciate it. And if folks are in the New Jersey area, stop by and say hi, get a cup of coffee and sit by the fire. Absolutely. Hey, can I just uh, mention that we have a a, a special page on our website for your listeners? Definitely. So if someone would like, they could go to terryasmith.com forward slash thrive. And my first name, Terry, is spelled T-E-R-R-Y, terryasmith.com forward slash thrive. And uh, we're offering the Hospitable Leader audiobook for 50% off on our website on that specific page. So that someone could also go to uh, thehospitableleader.com to learn more about the book, get a free preview of the book, and so on. Perfect. We appreciate the 50% off. Listen, leaders love discounts, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm happy to offer one, Brad. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for being on and thanks for sharing about the book and your story, man. Thank you, Brad. And as we always try to do here on the Thrive Leadership Podcast, take a second on the treadmill, on your mower, bike, in the shower, skates, on the plane, wherever it may be, on the train, train, in the automobile, Wherever you might find yourself as you listen in, take a moment. What's the one thing that you can take away from Mm -hmm. this talk? What's God speaking to you? What's he saying? What's the Holy Spirit convicting you of, challenging you around, inspiring you towards? Take that and uh, do something with it. Because again, we want to see practical leadership come out of this. You know, Thrive Leadership, thriveconference.org. Absolutely. There's all kinds of resources and info in there too. So if you're going, I love this podcast and I want to dig deeper right now, you've got Thrive Now there. There's a ton of articles and videos and all kinds of great things. Podcast at thriveconference.org. If you want to send us an email, especially CJ, he loves to get multiple emails in his inbox yes. that fill it up with useless information. I'm so sitting around right now just looking at the waiting inbox. waiting for an email from you. I'm so, hoping. you know, 
airplane74 at comcast.net. Go ahead and send that email to CJ about what you're doing right now because we right. know you're not doing anything. Right. Looking forward to upcoming podcast episodes. We got some big people coming up. Yes. Not because they're large, but because they're influential. That's right. Guys so, who've got incredible insights. Stick with, with us. us. We're taking yeah. you places. Yeah. We're glad you're on this journey with us. And here's the great thing. Four letters, which are the lifeblood of most leaders I know. F-R-E-E. Free. Free. Just like this podcast. It's worth every dollar that you're spending on this podcast, right? We can say that we're worth exactly what you're spending, which is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being a part. Thanks for being on the journey. We can't wait to talk to you again soon. Until next time, this is the Thrive Leadership Podcast. The Thrive Leadership Podcast is hosted by CJ Alvarado and Brad Lominick and is produced by Kip Johns. To download and share this and other Thrive podcasts, go to thriveconference.org.